Enlorn. And I'm Donna Grace. Welcome to the Life Rebalanced Podcast. Joining us today is Kristen Fuel, a seasoned teacher, writer, and healer of more than two decades in yoga and holistic health. Kristen helps people hone their intuition and increase confidence and strength while gently releasing pain and unhealthy patterns using the tools of yoga, meditation, breathing, and Reiki. Kristen is a Reiki master, director of Full Circle Yoga's training programs, author of The Gift of Awakening, a book about the healer's journey, and conducts private, group, and public healing sessions and seminars. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today on the Life Rebalanced podcast. I'm happy to be here with you, Lauren. Well, I'm happy to have you, and I'm really excited to talk today about meditation and developing a meditation practice as this is something actually I began years ago in your studio after attending some guided meditation classes. But first, I'd like to hear from you a little bit about how you arrived where you are on your journey and how your focus on holistic health developed. Could you tell us just a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. More than 25 years ago, I was a massage therapist and I was also a single parent. I had a lot of stress. I didn't make a lot of money. And I also had a relatively low self-worth except where it came to my work. And I derived a lot of gratification, good feelings from helping people feel better in their lives. I was working in pain management. And in my effort to help people, I was giving away a lot of my personal energy. Mm-hmm. rather than restoring my personal energy. I didn't have any personal energy practices. I had only giving practices. Mm-hmm. And any of my self-care practices were more uh, a little self-destructive, oh. to be honest with you. Okay, mm-hmm. So my teacher, who has been my teacher for 23 years, Ariel Hubbard, she was a colleague and a friend of mine at the time, And I told her my situation. I had some health problems. I had anxiety. I was all over the place. I was creating a lot of chaos for myself so that I could avoid sitting down and feeling all the feelings. And she said, to preserve your career and your health, you have got to find a better way. And I know of a better way. There's a couple of things that you're going to need to do, she said to me. And one is you need to learn yoga, Mm. not just to do it, but you need to learn it, understand it, make it a part of your life. Start there. And then the other is understanding where universal life force energy comes from, that you do not have to heal people with your personal energy because that's limited. If you are not restoring yourself, you don't have anything more to give and you're on borrowed time. So I began with that. I started going to some yoga classes. I was reading a lot of yoga books, spiritual books, such like that. And I made yoga a part of my life. Something very fortunate happened to me about a year into my practice was that one of my very first teachers, she gifted me a yoga teacher training, which was Oh, you know, the angels <laughs> because I was broke. And so whether it cost, you know, a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or two thousand, it was too much for me at the time. And so when I told the woman what I needed, she said, That's okay. You come anyway. Left. And so I try to 
pay that forward in my teacher trainings. When somebody needs what I have to teach, I want to make sure that that happens for them. So coming back to more of my healing journey is the meditation came the absolute hardest. And that's because after you have stirred everything up from the inside through a physical practice, which is what most people are coming to yoga for. I need to move my body. I need to stretch. Well, what do you do with all that energy? Well, in some of the vigorous practices, you fall down exhausted and you lay there in shavasana, you know, corpse pose, and you bliss out. But what's the wisdom that is gained from that? Is there any? Most people lay there, enjoy the quiet, maybe take a little nap, and then they get up and they leave. And what I found out for myself is that I couldn't remember much of what I had learned in class. And so sometimes in my living room at home, I would just twirl around and dance and throw my hair around and get one. And that was like my yoga practice. It felt very primal, just kind of releasing the pent up stress and strain that I had in my body and in my heart and in my mind. And when I was done, I did lay down and I felt exhausted, but I did have that moment of clarity of, oh my God, I could just get myself to remain here a little bit longer. After that exhaustion has lifted, I can breathe myself back to life and then I can sit and feel my feelings. And what came up was a lot of tears. Mm. It was tears. It was anger. It was grief. It was fear. It was hard, but it was worth it. Every moment that I spent doing that was worth it because it helped me better understand myself. And so that's when I really learned, like, I need to love myself through this because nobody else was there for me. Everybody else thought I had it covered. Right. And I think when you tend to be the person in your role as a massage therapist, for example, and I'm sure in other areas of your life at that time as well, when you are the giver, it is really in your nature to do that. And Mm -hmm. no one else is going to take care of you. You have to take care of you, right? Yeah. And eventually that cup is just empty. You just don't have anything in it to give. But the the satisfaction that you get from helping somebody else feel better, you think is feeding you. And it is in some ways. It keeps you going. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it will detract from your health. Well, exactly. And I think that that's something I definitely see in everything you do, that you recognize that connection between mind, body, and spirit. So when you when you found what you were just talking about at the end of your yoga practice, would you call that meditation? And, and then to follow that up, did you see a positive effect in your physical well-being through this practice as well? That's good. Both good questions. So there's a path of yoga that leads you to wisdom. And most people don't get all the way through that path. They stop at some point, either thinking that's the end of the road, that's as good as it gets, Mm -hmm. or they don't have the patience. They got too much to do. And so they get up and they continue on with the next thing. But I was very curious. I wanted to get deeper and deeper into self-intimacy. I wanted to know myself better than anyone or anything. I wanted to know myself like God knows me. Yes. <laughs> okay. The spark of God within me. So along the path of the physical practice, that's part of taking care of your body. 
eating better, sleeping better, taking care of our shell, then the release of pent-up stress, then you're quiet, then you release emotion, possibly. Not everybody has that reaction. But if you're patient enough, something will come up. The, the longer you get in life, the more they're stored inside. And if you have never had an opportunity to touch up against that, it will likely come up. Then it wasn't until many years later, because there were some interruptions in there. I, I had a lot of life changes and I didn't get all the way through that path. But about uh, 14 years ago, after my son was born, he was starting to sleep through the night and I was having some things arise for me again that I said, I'm going to dedicate myself to really mastering my mind. And so I wrote about this in my book, The Gift of Awakening, that I woke myself up at five o'clock in the morning every day for only two weeks. It only took two weeks of dedicated practice. Now, I could have continued on, you know, for months and months, but I'm not an early riser. Right. I, five o'clock in the morning is not my preferred time to meditate. I'm saving. That is the, my very earliest time I will open my eyes. <laughs> Yes, but I needed the discipline. So that is why I chose an unnerving time. <laughs> so five o'clock in the morning, I got up in the dark, splashed some water on my face and sat down with a virtual sangha. There's actually an online meditation community that I used called Tree Leaf Zendo. That's what I used at the time. I sat there for you know, a couple of minutes and I got an itch and I'm looking at the time and I'm thinking I'm, I'm cold. I'm, I'm hot. My body hurts. I'm so tired. So many things right. coming up in my mind. Then my strategy was to write those things down. If I could just figure out what I'm feeling as I'm feeling it and acknowledge it, maybe that will help me let go of some of these things. So one day I, I brought out a journal mm -hmm. and every thought that came into my head I identified it. I wrote it down. I love, okay. Then, then I sat. Another thing would come in. I would write it down. And I had a page full. I love that you did that. And it seems, I think maybe we get, I'll speak for myself. I tend to get caught up in the, this is the right way to do something and not allow myself the flexibility. So never would it have occurred to me to take the time in the middle of that to write things down. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that really helped you. Yeah. And at the end of that, and I did that for a couple of days. And so I looked at the page, which was all scrawl and scribble because it was written in the dark. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see what is the pattern here? Is there a pattern of my thoughts? There's physical sensations, mainly. The body is calling out to you. No, don't sit still. We got to do something. Then there was emotional things, like about the second or third day, it was like, I'm sad. I miss my mom. I'm angry at my mom. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm frustrated. So more emotional things started to come up. The body was like, okay, so we're going to sit. We're going to sit and we're going to be patient through this. And then the heart starts to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And then the mind, and it becomes more of an integrated process. And so when I saw the pattern, I said, oh, okay, there's, there's definitely some pent-up things here. What if I sit with one of those things? 
Like the first thing might be an itch. What if I just don't scratch it? What's going to happen to it? Is it going to drive me up a wall or will it go away? And so I, I discover, and I had read about this in meditation books and spiritual books, that everything is transient. Everything is changing and in transition. And if we don't react right away to it, mm-hmm. it's going to either intensify and it will really call your attention or it will decrease in intensity. How long can we be patient at a certain threshold of stimulus? Does it really bother you that much? Are you just irritated because it's layered upon all these other things? Mm -hmm. So I realized the itch wasn't that important and it would go away. And it did. How long did it take for you to have the itch go away? I guess is my question. That's, that's the challenge I face. Probably 30 seconds, 30 seconds. Yeah. If you can just breathe in and out and just notice it. Mm-hmm. or even try to distract yourself from it with the breath. The breath is a very present moment tool, just like the itch is a present moment experience, which is going to be the greater stimuli. Mm-hmm. And so if the breath is the greater stimuli and has the greater focus, the itch will go away. I mean, as long as something wasn't crawling. <laughs> <laughs> and I really wasn't concerned about that. I knew my body was just like fidgety. So then the emotional things come up. And then I needed to cry. And so then I purged my emotions and, and sat with that mm-hmm. and blew my nose and wiped my eyes. And then I could be still. And so I did this day after day after day. It only took a few days of the emotional purging. It really wasn't that long. When you give yourself that focused time, it's really not as intense or as long in duration as you might think. When you're in it, you think, I am never going to stop crying. This is such a deep pit. I don't know when I'm going to find the bottom of it. Right. But you let it wash through you. And it was only a couple of minutes each time I sat. And over a couple of days, I was like, I can sit with this now. It really is not that bad. You know, I'm just explaining to you my yes. of Then I can open to compassion. Once the grief is gone, what do I want to put in its place? I want to put love. I want to put compassion. I want to have patience, maybe some forgiveness, which is also a very complex thing. But I acquired a lot of wisdom in those two, two and a half weeks. I don't remember exactly how long it was, but I do remember the day that I went, I think I could do this in the daytime, even with people walking around me because I don't feel like I need to cry anymore. And I could meditate anywhere. That was it. That's my story. That's incredible to me that it was just a period of two and a half weeks. And I think you've addressed a lot of this, but I think I still, in my meditation practice, and it's something I put down for a while and pick back up, and I have not been disciplined with it the way I would like to be in the course of the last year, I've become more disciplined with it. But I still rely on the crutch of a guided meditation. And I think it's the fear of can I sit in that stillness? And I do recall being in the guided meditation class at your studio and having what you described as those feelings coming up. And there were definitely tears. But once I worked through that, I did get to that place of calm. But still, that was something that was guided. I was guided through that. So what advice would you give to people who share 
kind of these roadblocks and obstacles that I'm facing. How do we get past that? Well, since you were talking about a guided meditation, mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about the differences in guided meditations. Please. Okay. There are the kind of meditations where they talk you through it the entire way. You hear somebody's voice almost the whole time, which is more like a guided imagery or a journey that you take. Mm-hmm. Now, when they are talking to you, you are focusing on their voice. That is your focus. And you may be having an internal journey, but it's not your journey. You're going on their guided journey. And if it helps you to discover something, that's great. But that is a crutch. You're absolutely right. And there's nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a time and a place for please talk my mind through a beautiful or more peaceful, calm place. Yes. Okay. But when you can find a guided meditation or a teacher, I'm very much into person-to-person instruction. Mm -hmm. Find a teacher who is willing to give you quiet. They guide you to a certain point. When you're teaching somebody something, you need to give them an instruction, but then you need to let them practice it. When you teach a child, you give them an instruction, but you have to see them work it out for themselves. How will you know if they learned? Unless if they have an opportunity to practice. So when I guide meditations, I talk for about five minutes, maybe. And it's this. We talk through correct sitting posture. How do you feel? Are you comfortable? Whether cross leg is appropriate or sitting on a chair is appropriate. It depends on the individual. So we're talking out what is the most comfortable position you could be in and still stay alert. Mm -hmm. For some people, it needs to be laying down. But if they fall asleep, that's not meditation. Right. I'm guilty of that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And again, there's a time and a place for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So appropriate posture, sitting, standing, walking. I've worked with attention deficit hyperactivity people where sitting still is just not going to happen. So we need to do a walking meditation or other senses, Mm -hmm. tactile meditation, holding onto a stone. And there's different types of uh, guidance for embodiment to feel in your body. Then there's breath. I need to watch them breathe in and out. I need to give them an opportunity to sigh things out. If they have stress or strain, you can't just plop down and meditate if you have not released stress and strain from your body. Mm. Then I give them instructions on how to come more internally. So they are hearing my voice, but they're having a much more internal experience. If there were to be a sound like a car whizzing by outside, they would just notice the sound, but they wouldn't follow it. They could come right back in. So these are anchors to where you are and what you're doing. I call them anchors. So it's body, it's breath, and then where's your focus? So if I know them very well, we introduce an object of meditation. An object doesn't have to be a physical thing. It can be a concept. It can be a feeling like love or patience, clarity, like that. Then we're quiet. And I let them know, now we are going to share space. That's it. 
And we go, if they're very beginning, we sit for five minutes. And then I ask them to reflect on the experience. If they're more experienced, we'll do a 20-minute quiet period. And then I bring them out of it. Usually 20 minutes, more than 20 minutes is not necessary. Um, if you want to be a monk or go to a, a retreat or something like that, there's definitely places for that. But in this householder world, I'm good with 20 minutes. Most people are good with, if you can get mental clarity or quietude for 20 minutes, that's good. That's a good place to be. And then you can get up and focus on anything you want to focus on. And that leads me to my next question, which is, so you've described the practice itself and thank you for distinguishing between those different types of guided meditation. And then of course, there's also completely unguided meditation, which is what you practice for yourself when you don't have that type of instruction. But what, at the end of the day, why should we be meditating? When you can meditate, you can learn anything. You can master anything. So if you are a high-powered executive Mm -hmm. and you want to master your human resources, you want to master your, your field, you want to be an expert in your field, if you can master your mind, then you can go really, really deep into what it is that you want to focus on. Mm. So whether it's sales, whether it's understanding your family better, having better relationships with your coworkers or with your family, you have to start with a really good relationship with yourself. And there's many different layers to ourselves. You know, there's the health aspect of it. That's knowing yourself in one way. And I do meet a lot of people who say, you know, I have spent a lot of time really understanding how my body responds to food and how much water I need to drink and how much exercise I can tolerate before I get too sore. This is one type of intimacy with yourself. But then to know yourself emotionally, to purge the Mm -hmm. from the past doesn't mean that you have to relive it, but the memories of everything that's ever happened to you lives within you. And so when you can give yourself patience and grace to allow it to come up, not to force it, just to Mm -hmm. give yourself quiet so that if something is ready to come up, you can go, ah, okay. Okay, I I can be with this for a couple of minutes. Sure. You let it wash through you. It's just like digesting a big meal. Right. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm I'm kind of full today. Other times it's like, whoa, I I that was too much. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was too much. <laughs> and emotions are like that too. We have to digest our emotions. And as you're describing it, I'm thinking about it in terms of something very concrete. I'm very much a minimalist when it comes to my personal space. And what you're describing makes me think about that room where we just kind of throw everything in to get it out of out of the way when people are coming over. Or if you just want to tidy up a certain space, you kind of just shove it all into the back room, so to speak. And so I would equate what you're describing as, as a cleaning out of that space to allow for greater creativity and productivity and to really 
have this clean space to work with. That's a great analogy. That really is. Yeah. And I think there's a part of our brain too. There's a mental aspect of it of later. I'll deal with that later. And it could be emotional. It could be mental, but we store a lot of stuff in the subconscious Mm -hmm. and it just sits there. And in a dedicated meditation practice, it may not be meditation all the time. It may just be a focus period. Maybe that's as far as you get. When you do a sitting for 10, 15, 20 minutes, if all you get is I'm aware of my breath going in mm-hmm. and out of my body, that's a good day. Mm-hmm. That's all right. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. But there will be opportunities. Your, your mind will tell you, oh, there's something else. Clarity, wisdom, aha moments that will come up. Then you look at that and go, that's my meditation. I'm going to take a look at all the different aspects of this situation. That's what meditation is. Mm. But it is single-pointed focus on one thing. But of course, there are many different perspectives Mm -hmm. of one thing. Mm -hmm. Any object, you can look at it from top, bottom, side, side. And as far as situations or concepts or emotions, there's so many more dimensions to that. But if you stay focused on it without criticizing or telling yourself stories about it, it it becomes an opportunity for greater wisdom and for forgiveness and letting go when it's time to like, oh, this thing's been plaguing me for years. I'm really ready to let that go. And, And it doesn't happen in one sitting. There's issues that will come into meditation again and again, and that's just the the psyche and the body saying, let's go at it again. Right. Let's wash it through again. Let's keep working on this. And it does go. I, I assure you that if you give it enough time and don't push it away, take a good look at it, and then breathe it away. I mean, there's different techniques Mm -hmm. that you can use to consciously or through embodiment to let things go. So I wanted to mention about the sitting meditation. Okay. There are also embodiment practices. They don't look like meditation, but they're more like energetic practices. Is it okay if I talk about that? Absolutely. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I'm not familiar with that. Okay. Now I know we're we're audio right now and not mm-hmm. visual. But if you were to throw something mm-hmm. away from you, okay? Like you, you're feeling this thing and then you throw it away. You can throw it down into the earth. Mm-hmm. I do it standing up. And I, I teach this to my students who have anger and frustration. Mm. They don't even have to tell me what they're angry or frustrated about. But if I sense that this is coming up or they tell me I am am so, I'm like trembling with frustration today. Okay, we're going to do some energy throwing. That's what we're going to do. I love it. (laughs) And it goes, you know, throwing my arms out to the side and throwing it down. So just think about throwing your arms out to the side and down. And you do that until you feel like it's gone. It's lifted. And it really does work. I love everything you're sharing there. And that's another another layer that people can think about integrating. I'm thinking about this from a very 
practical perspective as a planner and a problem solver. For those of us, I think you've motivated me and hopefully others listening. I think there are a lot of these invisible things that are barriers to our progress and reaching our goals that we haven't maybe identified and haven't dealt with. And by sitting and practicing meditation or the energy throwing that you described or these various other things where we are taking the time to acknowledge these barriers and obstacles and work through them. And then I love the practical nature of thinking about the meditation practice, allowing us then to be more focused in all these other areas of our lives. And if if you could offer a piece of advice to people, maybe who have never meditated before, is there a best practice, a good posture, a good time of day? What is what are what are some things that people can start using in their own lives? Meditation practice, the when and where and how you do it. It needs to be individualized. Mm-hmm. So, for example, myself, my best time to meditate is about 11 o'clock in the morning. It's best for me for yoga. It's best for me for meditation. I can probably do it until about two o'clock in the afternoon. And then I just, I kind of have a window. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, my meditation practice is not always sitting down and sitting still. Sometimes it's standing on my patio and watching a cloud. I'm a cloud watcher, Mm -hmm. but I don't think about anything else while I'm doing it. So I'm I'm an out-of-the-box kind of person. I do have a disciplined sitting practice, but I don't need it all the time. And so I don't use it all the time. People who are very structured and like structure, they will do things in the same way all the time. I would encourage you to try different ways of using your body and your mind to focus on one thing without letting the mind drift. So timing has to work for you and in your environment. If you wake up in the morning and you're wide awake and bushy-tailed, is that the time to sit down and meditate or is that a time to go for a brisk walk? You see, you got to listen to your body. What are your body's natural habits and patterns? Mm -hmm. Trying to meditate when the kids are in the house. You know, do you have a quiet private room? Are you able to get away? Do you do it when everybody's asleep late at night? Mm -hmm. Or do you do it first thing in the morning? It's a very individualized thing. When people come to me to learn how to meditate, we establish a day and a time that we're going to meet once a week to practice but they have to go home and practice it on their own. And it's probably not going to be at that same time. Right. But it gets them to think about what is my environment? What are the conditions? And what are the conditions I need in order to be able to have quiet if I need quiet and mental focus? But there's many tools like you could hold rocks. Mm-hmm. I recommend a weighted blanket for people who um, have a lot of kinetic energy. I have used a weighted blanket. Get a weighted blanket. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very comforting and grounding for people who need to move. You do it while you're walking, Mm -hmm. but it can't be a destination walk. Like I'm going to turn this into exercise. It has to be a very slow walk, heel, toe, breathing in and out, taking in your surroundings, but being very present moment focus. Guided meditations are good when you need 
that extra guidance. Yes. Sitting down with a teacher is hands down the best way to learn the fastest. You will acquire the most amount of tools in the shortest amount of time when you have a skilled meditation teacher. And do you have any advice for people? Obviously, I would love for you to share a little bit more about how people can get in touch with you in a little bit. But for those listening who are not in the Southern California area, what's the best way to find a teacher? Do you have any advice for that? Well, you can uh, ask, you know, if you know somebody who meditates, who taught you? How did you learn? Mm -hmm. You can do a Google search. I know meditation teachers are not like all over the place, but now with virtual connections, you can connect with a meditation teacher anywhere in the world. That is very true. (laughs) And I do teach yoga and meditation via Zoom. As long as I can see them breathe and they can see me and I know what tools they have in their environment, you know, whether they have a river rock or a special gemstone or, you know, or nothing at all. Right. Which is if I can see them in their environment, learning can take place. And then you just meet as often as you need. But in one hour, I do three meditation periods. Mm -hmm. I talk for five minutes. We practice for five or 10 minutes. We talk for five or 10 minutes. We do another 10 minute sit. We talk for a couple minutes just to see how that progression goes through. You can learn a lot in one hour. I will say that transcendental meditation is one of the most highly studied and experimental uh, meditation types out there. So if you type in meditation, most likely you're going to get transcendental meditation. Mm. Nothing wrong with that, but I do want to let you and your listeners know that it's very expensive Mm. and it is, to my understanding, It is extremely simple and I can teach it, (laughs) 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 but without the trademark at the end, you see? So it's a simple mantra meditation. Mantra is a repeated word or phrase that gets you into the deeper brain waves. Uh, It's kind of like going deep down into the quiet of the ocean. But because it relaxes me just to hear you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, transcendental meditation is great. It works for so many people. And because it is extremely consistent, it will work every single time. So there is the beauty of that. If you're guided towards systematic, I want to get from point A to point B, transcendental meditation is great. But again, it can cost up to thousands of dollars. And I, I don't think that is necessary. So I would encourage anyone who's interested in transcendental meditation. I don't charge nearly (laughs) that amount Mm -hmm. to learn such a simple technique. And for people who have special needs, I can help establish how it is that you're going to sit so that you're not wrestling with your body. Whether you need to move first, your body stretch, you know, if you need to go for a walk. But with Zoom and other technology, I've used FaceTime, I've used Skype. Oh, wow. Lots of options. Yeah. As long as we can see each other, I can teach yoga and meditation. Yes. 
Fantastic. Well, I'm so glad to know that. And I really, really loved this conversation. I feel like we barely scratched the surface, to be honest, but it's a good start. We'll have to revisit it at some point. But before I let you go, I do have some questions that I like to ask our guests at the end of our time together, acknowledging that we're pulled in many different directions at all times, but typically there's one primary area of focus at any given time. And I'm curious to know for you right now, what what is that primary area of focus that's taking up the majority of your attention right now? I would have to say it is slowing down. Mm. Yeah. Not working at a hundred percent of my capacity. Mm-hmm. I've always said this about myself that I have enough energy to hurt myself. (laughs) I do. And so I don't want to take myself to a hundred percent capacity. I want to reel it in a little bit. And so in the morning I do Qigong. Mm -hmm. It's an energy work practice. It's for health, peace of mind. It's kind of my moving meditation right now. I've been doing yoga, something that looks more like a, a classical practice. I've been doing that for 22 years or so. My meditation is pretty consistent, but it's not the same every time. It's different. But I do get in some meditation just about every single day. And I find that it is actually making me more productive when I am ready to work, which for me is writing. And seeing my clients and my students, it is my family and my personal health. These things, when I decide that I am going to focus on something, I can get right to it. I do not have a long period of confusion or, oh, I got to do this, but now I got to do this before I do that. And, you know, this um, negotiating of priorities. Yes. I know what my priorities are and I work through them and I get it all done. Mm. And I'm not seeking to expand right now. I'm actually kind of resisting some expansion because the universe is asking me to expand. But from but the universe, I'm not sure has my health in mind. <laughs> it's calling to my soul. And it's asking me to throw myself out into the world in these many ways that I know I can make a really positive impact, but I have to decide for my family's peace of mind, for my health and my peace of mind, what is my role? And I'm going to try to stick to that. I, I love just doing this podcast with you. It is an extra thing, but I knew that I could stay at home. It's enjoyable. I didn't have to rush to do it. You're a very enjoyable person. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So you filled my cup today. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. And something that you said that really resonated with me was talking about not operating at 100%. So in the focus that you're putting on this in your life right now, where are you giving yourself grace? How are you letting go of things? Maybe, Maybe you had the expectation before of operating at 100%. Where are you giving yourself grace to be able to do this? When the universe says to me, here's this thing you could do. Look here, this great thing. You got to look at it. You got to do it. I say, later, later. Mm -hmm. 
another time, soon maybe, but not now. So it's kind of that, uh, that phrase of not now, like I acknowledge and I will spend some time with it before I say yes. I am very much a yes person. And I'm not saying no because the universe does not like it when I say no. When it asks me <laughs> to do something, it wants me to hop too. And it's mm-hmm. like having another boss. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's almost like having a child where you have to say, not yet. You're not saying no, but you're saying not yet. Right. Let's, let's hold off. Yeah. Time, timing is not right. And I think the universe is, you know, they say everything in divine timing. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yes and no. Because if the divine were really concerned with my health and my peace of mind, it would give me information in little pieces, but it doesn't. I get really big downloads and I get big picture downloads. And what that means is like I'm receiving a lot of information in one big package. I used to get it in little pieces mm-hmm. and now it comes down as a gigantic download of big picture that has a lot of different aspects to it. Mm-hmm. And I can't handle all those aspects and it takes time to delegate to somebody else who maybe has the skills, the time, who wants to handle these things. But if I'm the ringleader, <laughs> it's just too much. Yeah. And so I just tell the universe soon. Soon. I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. It's so important. I just need to space it out. I want to live a long time. Yes. I want to be here for a long time. So yeah, yeah. just uh, slowing down a little bit. And if I operate at about 90%, mm-hmm. I seem to be able to have the right amount of space for the priorities in my life. And the divine will be taken care of. Exactly. <laughs> As the divine takes care of me also. <laughs> well, and you shared with us a lot about your habits and practices that help you move toward the things you are focusing on and the priorities that you do have. Is there anything you'd like to add to that or highlight any habits or tidbits you can share with the listeners about things they might consider implementing that have worked for you? Yeah, I I think the people who are, are drawn to listen to your podcast are going to be organizational people. Yes. Not to say that they're not creative, but people who work within a framework. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage you to do a couple of things that seem out of the box, seem a little wild even. Mm-hmm. Get a little wild. Open up to some different aspects of yourself. Like when we were talking about the energy throwing. Yeah. I just know somebody is listening going, what is she talking <laughs> about? I... I can't imagine. Um, and so it's difficult to explain in this format, but it is a wild uh, kind of primal practice, but it also has some grounding in Eastern philosophy, martial arts, Qigong, mm-hmm. uh, not so much Tai Chi. Tai Chi is very slow, mm-hmm. but Qigong can have some force to it. And that's what I've been studying as a different form of energy management. Mm-hmm. I'll also mention I am a Reiki master and I do practice Reiki, which is a spiritually directed life force energy. And it has a tradition and it has a system. but 
I like to think out of the box sometimes. Mm -hmm. And when one system, no matter what it is, no matter how useful it has been for me in the past, you know, sometimes you need a saw and sometimes you need a hammer. You need a different tool for different things. Mm -hmm. And staying within an organizational framework, you're working with the same tools again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And so I would just encourage your listeners to be open to learning about different ways of moving energy. Everything is energy. Money is energy. Yes. Our attention is energy. Mm -hmm. And we need to learn how to use it in the most effective way possible. I could not agree with you more. I just cannot thank you enough for spending the time with me today. I know your time is very precious and valuable And I'm really honored that you chose to spend some of it with me. And I would love for you to share in closing how our listeners might be able to learn more. Where can they find you? I know, for example, your book, The Gift of Awakening, I believe that's available on Amazon. It is. It's available in paperback, Kindle, and I narrated it. So if you like to do books on, what are they called? Books on tape. It's not on tape anymore. Right. Through Audible. You can find it on there. And I think it's free if you sign up for a new uh, subscription. Oh, so I think if, you're right. If you've never done Audible before, you can get it for free. If you're already a member, I, you know, costs a few bucks. Yeah. I also have two websites. One is my personal website. It's my first and last name, kristenfuel.com. Mm-hmm. And then I have a studio website. It's for everything that I offer through Full Circle Yoga and Healing Arts in your Belinda, California. And that's fullcircleyogaoc.com. If you're local to Southern California, you can come visit me there. And information about my book is on Amazon. It's also on kristenfuel.com. Yeah, reach out to me if you have any questions, concerns, if you need guidance. That's what I do. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Kristen. Thank you. Have a good day, Lauren. Be well.